This is your gateway to the latest trends in the Gulf, bringing you exclusive insights and thought-provoking discussions. Welcome to AB Majlis, an Arabian business podcast. You can find our weekly episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for more exclusive content, subscribe to us on arabianbusiness.com. Welcome back to another episode of the AB Majlis podcast. I'm your host, Talami Shalaisa, senior reporter at Arabian Business. The market for lab-grown diamonds has experienced exponential growth in recent years, driven in part by the widely popular Netflix documentary, Nothing Lasts Forever. When lab-created diamonds first entered the market a few years ago, the traditional gemstone industry failed to anticipate the speed at which consumer demand would move away from natural diamonds. It was in underestimating lab diamonds' disruptive potential that the sector revealed an inability to appraise itself and the changing demands of its clientele. In the studio with me today is Fergus James, the founder of one of Dubai's most renowned jewelry brands. As an expert in the field, Fergus will dissect the complex dynamics now reshaping the diamond trade. So without further ado, welcome to AB Majlis, Fergus. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So to start, could you maybe give us a brief overview about your background, uh, you know, including founding your brand uh, in Dubai? Yeah, I mean, my background is pretty diverse. I'm not from the jewelry industry per se, as in it's not like a family business that I've entered into. Um, I was CEO of a property asset management company before that. And then I started Fergus James as a side hustle uh, about 11 years ago now. Interesting. And, you know, where, how, like, why did you make the switch from property to... Uh, really random. I mean, my, my it was all kind of catalyzed. My wife lost, lost her engagement ring. <laughs> and then I was, uh, re- like, randomly enough, the building that I was working in had a number of big jewelry companies in there. I got to know the CEOs through, I'm just seeing them in the building and stuff. And then one of them helped me redesign my wife's engagement ring. I noticed there was a big price difference between the UK and Dubai. And that was like the original seed or catalyst to say, right, okay, maybe I can do something here and look at selling um, uh, jewelry and diamond rings back to people in the UK. And that was kind of how it all kicked off. And then it was just, you know, bit by bit. It wasn't like a, a crazy like growth story. Like it was a lot of hard work. And then, you know, just gradually the thing snowballed to a point where I could um, I could do it as a full-time career. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, now you're also on UNAS, so yeah. you're doing really well for yeah, yourself, yeah. right? It's doing well, yeah. A lot of hard work still, but good fun. Mm-hmm. So originally, I guess from our previous conversations, I know that you started with diamonds and then eventually it just sort of went in the direction of lab-grown. Uh, could you tell us maybe a little bit more about that? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, we we um, we, didn't, we never really planned it. It was more... Um, I think in any industry that's involved in fashion, if you're a business involved in fashion, whether it's clothes or jewelry or anything, if you're not in touch with what the consumer wants or what the trends are in the market, um, then you're, you're kind of like a dead man or dead person walking. So um, you, as a business, you've constantly got to have your, um, your eye on the ball in terms of where the consumers are moving and what they like and what they don't like and what's moving in the market. So um, we... We started to see probably about three years ago, four years ago, we started to get inquiries for lab, lab grown diamond. And we really dealt with those on a purely reactive basis. So we didn't kind of say, oh, look, we're not going to service it because we're a natural company. We were like, well, look, if people are interested in it and we can work that into our business model, then, you know, we're going to go for it. Um, so we just started to work that into our business model for like reactive inquiries. And at the time when we started doing that, it, it was mainly um, that the nature of the customer then was very different to how it has turned out to be. Back then, there wasn't a huge difference between the pricing between a natural diamond and a lab-grown diamond. You were probably talking about, 
15, 20, 30 percent, depending on the, the size. And so what we were finding was it, it was mainly a um, and I, I don't really mean this in a bad way, but mainly like a, the eco warrior market, if you like people that were um, thinking of it as a ethical like um, choice. Mm-hmm. A, a cleaner, more envi- environmentally friendly choice versus a natural diamond, and so they were they were prepared to whatever rather than spending twelve thousand dollars, they were prepared to spend seven or eight thousand dollars, whatever it was, and go for a lab grown diamond. So we were servicing kind of that market to begin with, but it wasn't. We weren't very proactive, um, mainly because the differential in price wasn't great, and so the uptake. If you were trying to sell that, you know, people are like, well, I don't really understand what a lab is, so I'm happy to pay an extra 10, 15, 20% on the, on the, what they called like real thing, inverted commas. And then what we, what transpired kind of over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months is that we, that lab grown diamonds started, you know, crashing in price. There was a, now a big differential between the natural diamond and the lab grown diamond. So rather than paying a unit of 10, you'd pay a unit of two or three. So people are obviously looking at that saying, wow, there's like a 60, 70% saving versus a, a natural. And so they became interested in it. And so we, what we started doing was not moving from one or the other, but being very neutral in the way that we would offer consumers both. So we'd say to a consumer, right, if you want to go down this line, you've got a choice. And if it's a natural, it's going to be this much. And if it's a lab grown, it's going to be la- that much. Here's the information about them. And then customers are, are pretty sophisticated beings and they make their own choice. And, and what we found very quickly was that given the price differential um, in like for like or the um, the difference in utility as in how much someone could buy mm-hmm. for the same price, people would um, hand over fist. They were, they were choosing lab grown. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I mean, like, what's the difference between, first of all, maybe let's talk about the price. So what's the average price difference like the rate at least the, the, the bigger the bigger the diamond the more expensive the natural the bigger the saving so if you're looking at like small because the cost of cutting of a lab grown is identical to the cost of cutting as a natural because it's the same material so the the process is identical everything's the same so the only two differences between lab and natural are the origin as in lab come from a lab natural come from a mine somewhere and the price that's it um so if you're if you're looking at a let's say a, a, a typical one carat diamond. If you're buying a natural, you might be talking about $6,000 or $7,000. With a lab grown, you might be talking about $2,000 or even less in some cases. Um, And if you you go even bigger than that, if you go to like a a nine or 10 carat natural, you could be talking half a million dollars. And in lab grown, you could be talking $20,000. Wow. So there, there are huge differences. So basically, the bigger you go, the more aggressive and the higher the percentage discount on the um on the product Mm -hmm. and so i mean maybe you could tell me more about what's the like what's the difference between a lab grown diamond and a natural diamond only two differences the price and the origin that's it chemically physically visually they're identical they're graded by the same certification houses of the gia that grade natural diamonds for cartier bulgari harry winston De beers you name it um the gia also grade uh, lab grown diamonds Mm -hmm. and uh you know visually when you look at it like as an expert or maybe say, let's say you were a gemologist and you looked at it, would you be able to tell the difference? No, it's impossible. Really? It's like the 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 analogy I give is like you're looking at two kids, same age, five years old. One's an IVF baby, one's a natural baby. And if you looked at them, you wouldn't be able to say, right, that's the IVF child. It's the same thing. Interesting. Could you show us how the difference between both? I think you brought in some diamonds. Yeah, today. I brought in a couple of diamonds today. Um, and the only difference in any diamond between lab and natural is the way it's cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, 
that that's it. But chemically, physically, visually, they're identical. So that's actually the natural one. And that's probably about $150,000. And the the lab-grown one by a side is less than $10,000. Interesting. So this is the natural diamond. Correct. This is the lab-grown diamond. Correct. Oh, you can barely tell the difference. I mean, if it wasn't for the box. <laughs> that's it. Wow. That's incredible. Mm. And so how did the, the market for this start? You know, um, I think um, you were mentioning at some point when we spoke in the past about how De Beers misunderstood the market and then they launched it as the sort of first diamond a girl would get at uh, the age of 13 and then Correct. her way up to a real one. Right? So I think, I think I mean, lab-grown diamonds have been around for a long time. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure who invented it, but I think I think it was... Um, I think it was NASA or an American government agency that first figured out they could grow a diamond material in a highly pressurized, mm -hmm. um, sophisticated oven unit. And that was like back in the 1950s, 60s. But they were very, um, they weren't gem quality. They were black. They were massively included. You couldn't use them in gems. And then as technology progressed, um, people figured out how to grow beautiful white or colored gem quality diamonds that people would wear in an engagement ring or um, a piece of jewelry or whatever. Um, and De Beers, I mean, the, the technology was around. De Beers actually founded its own lab-grown company and they branded it uh, Lightbox so that it would get a stake in the market because it, it knew it was coming. And what they tried to do at the beginning was to essentially offer uh, lab-grown diamonds. They tried to manipulate the customer perception of it to offer lab-grown diamonds to, um, I, I guess they were focusing more towards the younger uh, target audience, like maybe early teenagers, late teenagers, people who might be purchasing their first diamond products so that they would say, right, my first diamond product is going to be this lab grown. I'm going to spend X on it. And then I'm going to aspire towards a natural diamond. And when I'm 25 or 30 or I get my first engagement ring, that will be the natural product that I've always dreamed of. Um, but what they kind of forgot was that they didn't really give any marketing with this. So consumers just did what they wanted. Oh my um, God. And that was, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's one of the, when you, when you actually think back, I mean, the, the diamond industry as a whole, has created some really successful advertising campaigns, probably some of the most successful of, of all time. If you think back to, you know, like a diamond is forever. If you think back to the Tiffany advert that kind of manipulated customer perception that what you had to spend on an engagement ring was two or three times, you know, monthly earnings or, or, or whatever that um, exact uh, advert kind of communicated. It, it It's had some really successful advertising and marketing, like really powerful that's mm -hmm. shaped industries and they, I think they just completely have forgotten how to do it. Like there's wow. not, it's, you know, you can't, you can't just launch a brand and give it a little bit of like, well, this is what we want consumers to do. We're going to set up shop in the background to supply that product, to give them what we want them to do. You have to really create that whole story and that framework and understanding for the consumer and then put them through it. I mean, yeah. things have changed. Mm -hmm. So they're, they kind of, they kind of, yeah, launched this brand. I'm sure it did very well in terms of the number of sales it was it was doing. But in, in the background, the lab, lab industry in markets they didn't think it would take a hold of was absolutely raging. Like it was really, really moving quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something I found pretty interesting while I was watching the documentary was one of, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was one of the central, you know, interviewees of the documentary. And he was saying that a diamond is a, it's 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 a symbol of a commitment um and that's what people are paying for it's for the commitment so i guess there's like that story as well behind it other than no, historically the diamond the diamond ring was almost like a deposit on a house for mm -hmm. your wife and this is going back a long long time it was a deposit that once you'd promised 
um, you know, you given the ring, I, I think going going back like hundreds of years, and it wasn't always a diamond ring, but once you'd given that deposit on your partner, it meant that she had committed herself, and I think back then probably her virginity to you, mm-hmm. and that she would be kept for you until you got married. Um, but obviously things have kind of progressed since then, right? But, yeah. But I think what what the um, the diamond industry didn't really realize is that there was no, for, for whatever reason, I think because of lack of investment in marketing and branding um, for the natural diamond, the consumers didn't really understand the value of a natural diamond. They just didn't understand it mm-hmm. um, because it hadn't been given to them, you know? Um, and yeah. I, I think back to when I was growing up, I, you know, I wasn't involved in any kind of diamonds or jewelry and my parents weren't either, but I still remember the De Beers adverts, um, you know, you know, probably 30, 35 years ago now, I still remember seeing those on the TV and I remember the the context of them. I remember how they looked. I remember the message that they were delivering and all of that kind of stuff. I had no interest in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you ask me, do I remember seeing anything over the last five, 10 years and I'm involved in the industry and proactively looking for that stuff, I can say I've just seen nothing, nothing of any substance. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think the, the industry for a long time, probably 20 or 30 years has been, um, has been pretty lazy with the way it's been promoting the natural product and just relying on the fact it's got no competition to continue to sell. And now, boy, has it got some competition. Yeah, but consumers have become extremely savvy as well. Do you think that might be one of the reasons why they're probably preferring lab-grown over natural diamonds? They have become savvy, but I don't I don't think it's a particularly like savvy decision in that they're, they're, if you look at the the rudimentary basics of what they're faced with, they're faced with a decision that they've got a diamond ring, which is what they want, mm-hmm. lab grown, another diamond ring, which is what they want. One of them costs $10,000. The other one costs two. You don't have to be <laughs> it's particularly a savvy. It is a no brainer. And yeah. I, I, it's so interesting that, well, you know, we, we do a lot of our business on WhatsApp and you'll be going through the process with a customer and not trying to sway them one way or the other, like it's their choice. And then they almost like just repeat that back to you. Like it's a no brainer. Like I'm, I'm struggling. They almost like want to pick the natural, but they're saying openly, like I'm struggling to think of why mm-hmm. I would do that. Yeah. Like what, what's the benefit for me? And you can't tell them what the benefit is because they have to decide for themselves. Now, if the diamond industry had invested a lot of money in natural marketing for the last 20 years that had pumped it into people's minds that the diamond is this incredible thing that was created under the earth in Kimberlite pipes. And it was one of a kind and it was special and it had a everlasting value and you're worth a natural diamond and all that kind of stuff. If the industry had communicated that solidly for 25 years and invested heavily in that, then sure as hell the uptake would have been slower and women would have been requesting natural Mm -hmm. diamonds as opposed to whatever other alternatives they they had. Um, but that hasn't been the case. So um, it's been a bit of a shocker. But, you know, I always found the diamond industry to be like quite an obscure industry. Like you don't really know much about what happens there uh, internally. Obviously, you can apply that to loads of different industries. Um, but there have there's been a lot of speculation over the years that, you know, of course, you get a GIA certificate when you get a real diamond. But people are saying that they're mixing lab grown and real diamonds but still giving you the certificate and you might not even know you have a lab grown diamond. Yeah. I mean, I think that has happened for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it really, it doesn't happen anymore because the, the technology is there to differentiate between the products when they're doing the certification um, very easily and they all go through that process now. But I think when, when they first started producing 
Labyrinth, maybe whatever it was 10 years ago, that for sure some of those would have been slipping into the natural supply chain, for sure. Mm -hmm. And so throughout last year, do you think um, that lab-grown just became more and more popular? Like how much of an impact did it have on the natural diamond trade? It's difficult to see because a lot of these these numbers are still going through the the the, the wash and it's not, the, the diamond industry isn't, um, I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say it's particularly transparent with the way it communicates industry data. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, all I can say is that what, what was created and what really accelerated the, the onset of lab-grown diamonds was a perfect storm between lab-grown diamond prices being slashed massively and natural prices during COVID increasing at a rate of not. So there was a perfect storm of the supply chain and the manufacturing of um creating a lack of supply on the natural market during COVID because the mines were shut down. So there was a lack of supply. Mm-hmm. The cutting factories in India were sh- shut down. So the stuff wasn't getting polished. Um, and people were saving a huge amount of disposable income at home. So there was huge demand for it. And all, all of the diamond tiers, I remember at the time, all the diamond tiers and the manufacturers were all saying, oh my God, this is insane. They were kind of like, you know, laughing all the way to the bank, if you like. And I remember saying to them, like, all this is doing is increasing the gap between lab natural and you'll see in a year's time you're not going to be laughing anymore (laughs) and that's exactly what's happened and so once the supply side sorted itself out and the demand side cooled off because people had spent the disposable income they started going on vacations again which they couldn't do before all that stuff then the price of natural diamonds within a space of i think it was like 12 months crashed between 20 to 45 percent depending on the category of the diamond you're talking about yeah. um and it, and the only thing that stopped that demise was the indian manufacturers as a collective took control of it probably about four months ago and said right we're going to ban imports of rough stones into india to forcibly stop people polishing diamonds to restrict the supply historically that was always the job of the beers the mm-hmm. beers would control that side of things but they haven't got that capability anymore um otherwise they'd be doing it so um, that's what the Indian manufacturers did. And they they effectively control that processing, polishing side of the market. And then even, even more recently, you know, just a few days ago, De Beers slashed the price of their rough diamonds between 10 to 25% again, because they're struggling to sell. That's it. So, I mean, it, it's, it, it's had an impact. It's a, something that the, the industry is worried about. Like if you see any of these natural... Um, diamond associations like you know Rappaport or whatever it may be um, they're they're scratching their heads and they're not really sure what to do because the industry doesn't really have any leadership or any representation I mean it is it is a it's a strange beast wow that is that is very very strange Mm. and do you think you know um, you know moving forward over the next couple of years of course nothing's certain but do you expect um, you know the natural diamond industry to become less important or it depends what it does and how it does it. So, I mean, for example, the re- the reason, the only reason people are buying lab over natural is not environmental. Pe- people, I, I, I do not like necessarily saying this because I'm an advocate for it, but they don't really care about that side of things, no matter what they tell you. Like, yeah. you know, even when we were selling natural, if we serviced 200 customers, maybe one would even ask about the traceability or where the diamond's from or is it ethical or whatever it may be. So in general terms, the consumer isn't that interested in spite of what you may read or what is popularized in the media. It's, it's not an overriding concern. In the same price with LabGrown, um, you know, even when there was a 20 or 30% difference, it was still less expensive than the natural, but people weren't buying it because in their brains, like the, the, 
difference in price wasn't enough to um, overcome the the difference in their perceived value of a natural versus a lab. Mm -hmm. But then obviously it's like any basic economics. It hits a point where the value utility of the consumer matches the price utility and boom, they change their buying habits. That's Mm -hmm. it. So I don't know whether, I mean, prices did drop a lot, but I don't know whether the buying utility needed to be like 60% less than natural or 40% or 30% or 70%, whatever. But there was a point at which consumers think, wow, I can't justify this natural spend anymore. I will go for the the lab options. I mean, the natural economic argument would be, well, natural needs to compete with price. Cool. So they compete with price and they've started to do that. But then how much do they have to compete with price? And given the cost of mining versus growing it, obviously it's going to be a lot cheaper. Mining is going to be a lot more expensive. How much can they compete on price? to push the consumer back onto natural. And that's a big question mark. Um, If they're really aggressive with it, then undoubtedly they will slow the uptake of lab and increase people's utility on natural and increase their propensity to buy. Um, But the other thing they've got to invest in, and this isn't a quick fix, but they need to invest in marketing. They need to invest in um, building a brand for a natural diamond that creates a desire ordinarily in a woman's mind that she wants a natural and is worth a natural diamond. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's very true. I, I don't recall, you know, seeing any diamond adverts um, over the last five years, at least. Which is, so why would you buy it? Yeah, That's exactly. the point. Like, if you haven't been told why you're going to buy something, I mean, it's incredibly lazy of an industry that that has sales of, like, tens of billions of dollars. Yeah. You do not know why you would buy something. Well, you're not going to buy it then if you have a choice between two um, chemically identical products, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, you know, in terms of the demographic of the, you know, the people you kind of cater to when it comes to lab-grown in Dubai, you said some very interesting things in an interview we did a couple of weeks ago Uh uh, on Arabian Business, um, how, you know, maybe celebrities and more, you know, people with actual wealth yeah. are opting for lab grown R- real now. wealth yeah as in not just someone that has a good job and gets paid quite a bit of money people who are um have wealth to the point that it doesn't really matter what they spend mm-hmm. they, they can buy anything they want and this is something that we we didn't really anticipate when we first started doing it um, and selling labs customers or giving them the option at least we thought that it would be generally the younger generation more open-minded to it because we had in our minds that people would think ah, yeah, you know, the older generation would prefer natural. And very quickly, we we saw that it was absolutely, um, it, it didn't discriminate between anything, between age, between gender, between nationality to an extent, didn't really discriminate between nationality. And it didn't discriminate on on whether anyone had the ability to buy it or not. Um, mm-hmm. So it didn't discriminate on on wealth. So we've we've had many celebrities, incredibly wealthy um, businessmen and women given the option of both lab and natural and the the thought process is absolutely identical like there's no difference wow they look at it buying utility and that's one of the things diamond industry underestimated is when the consumer makes a behavior or makes the, the the decision on buying utility they're not necessarily saying well what do i prefer lab or natural mm-hmm. they're saying well Rather than spending a hundred thousand dollars, I'm spending twenty. What can I spend the additional eighty on that exactly. I want? So they might buy a watch, they might buy nothing, they might buy crypto, they might go on vacation, they might pay for a deposit for a house or buy a car or whatever. But that's what the industry didn't really 
understand is that everyone would be making those decisions because for the same reason that you just said, I can't remember a diamond advert. Well, neither can the billionaire. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like they, they, they have the same, they, they might be buying on a different level, but they've still got the same thought process as in, if they don't feel a reason to buy it, they're not just going to give it away, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. Um, I mean, on that note, I think we've discussed a lot of really, really interesting stuff. Um, is there anything you'd like to add? Nothing really. It's just been an interesting conversation. That's all. Yeah, definitely. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and thank you to all our subscribers. Sign up to arabianbusiness.com for all exclusive content. Bye.